Welcome to At The Source. It's been two weeks since my last coronavirus and food episode, which featured Josh Eggleton talking about some of the initiatives he's working on to feed Bristol's most vulnerable at this time. Since then, things have begun to improve. The government has announced that we've reached peak deaths and indeed the numbers do seem to be shrinking. As of Friday the 1st of May, there have been 27,510 COVID-related deaths, now including numbers from care homes and outside of hospitals, which I think is a good thing. In total, the UK has seen just over 177,000 cases, with the worldwide number at 3.4 million, with close to 240,000 deaths recorded. As always, I know that this is a little bit of a somber way to start the podcast, but I find it's important to to kind of acknowledge what's going on out there. Today's guests span food, drink and farming, and I'm keen to talk to them about how we start to move out of lockdown with the government's recent announcement that plans will be released within the next week. My guests today are Charlie Taylor, co-owner of Cask Wine Bar and Deli in Bristol. Hey, Charlie. Hello. Ed Dixon, a first-generation farmer on what he calls the hilly edge of Herefordshire and a partner in Wild by Nature, which sells sustainably farmed meat boxes. Hey, Ed. Hi, yeah. And finally, Brett St. Clair, the head chef and manager at Bakers & Co Cafe and Bakery in Bristol, which is now running a provision store online. Hey, Brett. Hi. Let's start by acknowledging the fact that we are now in May and we went into lockdown in March. Now that that initial feeling of panic has subsided, what feeling has it been replaced by? You're all being really polite. We'll start with you, Charlie. Start with me, okay. Um, Yeah, I think there was definitely a feeling of panic. And I think also, I I think... I don't know if panic actually is the right word at the start because I think it was still too hard to believe. And we obviously went through a stage, which is a very odd week where the government had advised people not to go to pubs and restaurants that hadn't yet ordered us to close. And that was just a really weird week go between where we ran through 10 or 15 different ideas of how to keep cask open. We did a speakeasy for two nights where we only had 16 tables. We were trying to figure out if we could get our garden open and whether that was safer. And it was a very odd week because we were balancing our commercial need to stay open and to make some money versus the moral questioning of whether we should close. And I I think for Mm. a lot of restaurants and pubs, that was very hard. When once the government had, had ordered us to close, it was actually, while it was really disappointing, it made it easier to come to terms with the reality and to then start thinking about how to deal with that reality. And I think, you know, we're still quite new. We only opened October. This is a very new industry for us. Our background's in marketing and comms um, for restaurants and hotels, but we've never owned a bar before. So to be ordered to close five months, six months into opening was was disappointing. But I think our survival instinct kicked in and, and probably our past experience in dealing with crises in hotels helped to mm. immediately think, how could we deal with it and what could we put in place? And yeah, maybe naively, but maybe it worked out for the best for us. We just went with it. We just immediately said, right, let's get a virtual tasting going. Let's show that we have a sustainable business model from the off. We ordered a load of bottles, small bottles. So again, you know, we we were, I think the first piece of advice I read was do not buy anything, do not commit any cost to anything. And in that first week of 
of being closed, we bought a shed load of wine because we had no idea when the supplies would stop. We bought a load of new bottles and a load of new labels and a car to deliver things, <laughs> which was against all advice. But I think we knew we had to make, we had to go quick. Uh, and since then, yeah. I think uh, I think the panic probably is still going because since then we've been catching up with ourselves to actually figure out how to be more efficient and how to not spend 24 hours a day doing it. Was the story quite similar for you, Brett? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, we we sort of got to that point, like Charlie, that um, sort of seven, ten days that happened where everything is just kind of constantly pivoting with each new announcement. We're coming up with plans and then they make the next announcement and pivot again. And we got to the point where we decided to sort of suspend all the restaurants um, across our group and close them down. And I had to sort of come in and bake the bread because we'd made the bread for that day. So it was like, well, we'll come on in, open up for two hours, see if we can shift the bread and it all flow out. And from that, the kind of seed of the idea came to carry on running as a kind of provision store. And like say through the constant announcements and pivoting, we kind of came to where we are now. Mm-hmm. It took a long time to see what was going to be the kind of model for it because initially it was just literally looking at all the stock that we were carrying and as soon as people started coming in buying the bread and buying flour we're suddenly like hang on (laughs) there's a real market how are we going to get more (laughs) yeah there's a real market for the flour we were literally just kind of looking to use the stock up Mm -hmm. but actually we're realizing that people want to bake so we're like okay we, we need to be getting more of this in. we can't just rely on what we've got here so that's kind of where we've we've got to with it um we closed briefly for a week um to the public while we kind of recalibrated and um got a website up and running and kind of did it a bit more professionally than we were doing it before mm-hmm. it, it was all kind of ad hoc we've all been working sort of six seven days a week and we we got to the point where like we, if, if we're going to carry on doing this long term we need to actually look at, at doing this properly and safely mm-hmm. and making sure you know all the staff and the customers again looked after so yeah and then ed as a farmer yeah. i imagine that your experience was pretty different um do you still have that feeling of panic or or do you feel uh, like things are well, a bit more under we, control now yeah i, I suppose just from the, the straight farming side um you know that that happens you know no matter what really um you know we're the only species mm-hmm. that knows any different at the moment um and we you know end of march is is coming up to lambing time for us we sort of lamb in early april um so there's there's that always to to think about every year um and you know it seems like a, you know maybe it's a bad thing to say but actually it's been such an easy april just on the farming side of things with the weather we've had it's you know if i've been busy on the farm and looking out for the sheep and, you know, fixing fences and stuff. I can just get in my own little bubble. I always forget anything is going on outside of, you know, my little world. That's probably quite nice, actually. <laughs> um, on the farm. So that's that's quite a strange feeling. But we also, um, we do run uh, weddings down here during the summer, um, which is obviously quite a, a big source of our income, um, as well as the meat boxes. So that side of things is, is completely on 
hold um and probably mm-hmm. like you know a lot of people in hospitality we're we're looking at you know our our little bit of that of the industry there and thinking well we're probably going to be one of the last sort of sectors to be able to open back up to something like normal really so mm-hmm. having the, the meat boxes and things to sort of take our sole focus has allowed us to push that side of the business forward when normally at this time of year we've been sort of gearing up for the weddings as well as being busy with the farm work so it's, it's been a, a bit of an odd split between you know having more time for things which we normally wouldn't but equally looking at you know another part of the, the work that goes on down at the farm just thinking well who knows when that's uh that's going to be back to normal really um, and Ed and I were chatting just before we came on, um, started recording to say that this is actually the third calendar month now that we're in this lockdown situation. And I almost wonder if this feels now like this is the the new norm. I can imagine that your working day looks very different now. Charlie, your business model has shifted massively and you obviously already mentioned about the virtual wine tastings and deliveries. Do you think this is something that you will carry on doing once the bar is reopened? Yeah, somebody, we were in a tasting last night, we did virtual tasting for 70 people and somebody asked us whether we'd continue doing virtual wine tastings when we're back open. And there is a benefit to that in that we have our suppliers um, uh, on the virtual tasting hosting them. And most of our suppliers are based in London. It's hard for them to get to Bristol regularly. So we, when we were open as a bar, we were hosting our kind of monthly tastings ourselves. Having the supplier mm-hmm. there who has intimate relationships with with the winemakers and knows them much better than we do, definitely lends some knowledge, expertise, and lovely anecdotes, which we we don't necessarily have. But I do think wine tasting is all about being with a group of people in a room and mm-hmm. um, and having that, that general chat, but then also some one-on-one time as well, because sometimes people can be a bit nervous to talk about wine and to ask a question in front of 25 people. So when we're doing it in the bar, we'll walk around and they can ask us those questions personally. Um, and also just the discussions that tend to happen more when you're in a room, whereas I, th- I find Zoom can still seem to sometimes feel like a lecture. Mm-hmm. People still are quite nervous to interact, partly just because of technology. And if there's 25 people on a call, there's a lot of background noise and you can't hear things. And so it, it, it's less easy to interact than in person. I, whether I, I think our collections, sorry, our delivery side, we had always thought we might launch delivery service before lockdown happened. And I think one advantage for us of delivering from the start of lockdown has been we've definitely furthered our audience beyond Bedminster and we're doing deliveries to every to to everywhere in Bristol and we're getting requested deliveries from Cardiff Northampton London somehow I I don't quite know why we're not we're definitely not honoring them um because we can't but um but you know I think we've definitely broadened and widened our audience and our brand has definitely benefited from what we're currently doing uh, and i hope that benefits us when we do mm-hmm. reopen so and i think we'll probably will keep a delivery service going at that point that actually ties in really nicely to um throwing this question out to ed and brett as well so both of you are involved in now doing online sales and delivery do you think that your customer base has changed as a result of doing of of everybody basically needing to order food online now yeah i i think um ours has definitely broadened out um both locally we do sort of a local delivery round in person um which was 
you know, those numbers have gone up. Um, but most, I'd say probably 75, 80% go out through a, through a courier delivery. Um, and we've seen those orders bump up as well. And equally, we do some sort of one-off purchases, but it's sort of based on a subscription model. And we've seen lots of people go from one-offs to subscriptions. And I think that's probably a, a security thing as much as it is, a, mm-hmm. oh, this is really nice stuff to eat. Um, but I think certainly, you know, we've got three young kids in the house and, um, you know, we've, we've really enjoyed, I think the, the opportunity that sort of slowing down has given us to, um, sort of refocus, you know, how the day runs and spend more time, you know, cooking and eating as a family. Um, I think we definitely yeah. be one of those people bugging Brett for more flour all the time because as a you know going through sort of like a local <laughs> home done sourdough a day at the moment I don't know how much flour we're getting through but it's, it's an awful lot um, how, how reflective that is of sort of society in, in general I don't know but it's the same in my house and there's only two of us <laughs> yeah if there is a, a sort of refocusing of people's priorities and what they spend their money on how they spend their time then you know perhaps at least the, the food and and drink industry will will change a bit to reflect that, but how, how long that'll last post-lockdown, we'll have to wait and see, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, um, the online came about for us um, just more as a health and safety thing at the end of the day for the um, couple of weeks we were operating um, at the start of it. Um, it was really great. You've got regulars turning up to support you and you've got people queuing for coffee. And at a point it kind of became like, it's great that you're supporting us, but at the same time, you're literally just coming to grab a coffee because you can. Mm-hmm. And it didn't be- <laughs> it didn't seem sensible for us to kind of continue with that model. And we just needed something to be able to space people out properly because we had sort of two or three people in here a day trying. Um, we're a really small cafe, so we've got to limit the amount of people we have in here working. Mm-hmm anyway so you can't really with free people police a queue going out the door <laughs> so yeah that that was kind of the main reason the online thing came about and now it's just kind of opened the floodgates of people just wanting to buy bread and uh decent bread as well <laughs> thank you <laughs> yeah decent bread uh, stock, stocking up on the flour i mean people are just buying kilos of kilos a day um we've literally if not doubled probably two-thirds increased our order for flour each week wow just through demands and we were getting through um probably want to say um 400 kilos maybe more a week anyway so yeah it's it's definitely gone up i do hope that people will carry on supporting independence and ordering things from, so their wine from cask, their flour from you, their meat from Ed. And this is something that we've ended up talking about in nearly all of these coronavirus and food episodes. And maybe, you know, I'm, I come from a place of privilege because I can afford to buy nice wine, nice flour, nice meat. Um, but I really like the fact that there are people using independent, um, sellers in a way that they never have before almost because they've been pushed to because they can't necessarily get a slot with tesco but i really hope and i don't know what your feelings are that this continues after after this everything's back to normal yeah absolutely um 
I mean, again, I, I can't speak for everybody. I'm sure Charlie might have seen the same, but um, just like on Instagram and Twitter, the the amount of followers we've got has gone up amazingly by sort of 400 in the past month, which for us is is pretty good. And hopefully that that kind of level of support translates to something at, at the back end. And yeah, um, like I say, a lot of the regulars from um, all our other sites have been coming and supporting us as well. So hopefully, yeah, it carries on like that. Yeah, I think for us, we we made a very conscious decision when lockdown happened to not actually go into an e-commerce site and to not put everything online. And we take all our orders through Instagram, DM and emails and some on phone. And although that creates a huge amount of admin for us, and at times we've definitely regretted it, the reason we did that was because we wanted to create as much of the in-bar experience as we could. And if it's just a case of ordering a bottle of wine, there are other providers, you know, Naked and uh, Naked Wines and, and other big wine merchants that have a bigger offering and perhaps even a cheaper offering. Um, but we recognize that what people liked or what we hope people liked about cast when we were open as a bar was people liked coming in. They appreciated and liked the fact we were uh, individual or a couple or two couples rather running a bar uh, and starting out on a new venture. And they appreciated the chats we'd have across the bar about the wine and, and the discussions we'd have and that little bit of kind of recommendation that comes from an in-person. So we wanted to carry that through, which is why our orders are not uh, uh, an e-commerce site. Whether that was the right thing or not, I don't know. But I think right, it's not from a uh, efficiency point of view, but from a brand building point of view, I think it probably is. Um, and I think we'll, we'll probably now look at, do we put some products online? And I probably could say this now because it will have launched by the time this podcast goes out. But we're working with the Bedminster Bid Group on a on a BS3 website where they're, it's amazing, actually. They're opening up the opportunity for all businesses in BS3 to have an e-commerce platform, which I think is incredible. And that, to me, is a, a really good thing about Bristol. And, and, and especially about Bedminster, the support of independent businesses for a for a bid group to say, how can we be relevant now during lockdown and to create an e-commerce platform that any business in, in BS3 can, can tap into is fantastic. So we will put some product on there, but most of our orders will still come through Instagram and email. That sounds great, especially because I also now live in Bedminster, so I can uh, take advantage of that. Um, I think one of the overarching themes of, of the food and drink industry during lockdown has been collaboration and support. And I think that um, despite all the negatives and the all the instability and the fear and stress of not knowing what's going to happen to um, your business, to the, the place that you work, etc. Um, I do really feel like there's been this huge supportive feeling that surrounded everybody. And Ed, I wanted to just get your feeling on this because Wild yeah. by Nature um, works with a community of farmers and butchers. So mm -hmm, I'm yeah. guessing that that network has been really supportive at this time. Yeah. So we um, we've got um, a butcher unit on the farm, um, which is run by um, Jake, and then we've got a guy called Sammy who works for us in there um, as well and does some catering stuff. And we've got events on too. Um, and he he comes from quite his commute is very rural and it's quite long, so it's been great that he's been able to carry on. Um, I think the fact that 
you know, as farming slash sort of primary food producers, if you like, the fact that we're key workers has been good because we know we've, we, to some extent, we've got that security that we can carry on doing what we're doing. Um, but obviously, we do reply, um, we do rely on, um, you know, the abattoir still being open to take the, the sheep and the cattle and the pigs. Um, and on and other people, you know, if you're sourcing, you know, pigs, for example, from elsewhere, on those people still being able to do what they, they do for us. So um, I think from from our point of view, there's probably been slightly less uh, sort of insecurity. Um, and, and hopefully we've been able to give people um, who we do work with a bit of surety to say, no, it's all right, you know, carry on, keep coming to work, or yes, we're still delivering, or, you know, those those sheep we were going we were going to buy, we'll still do it. And, Likewise, um, I think we've, we've mm-hmm. by and large, where we've been, you know, we've had plans in the pipeline to, to sort of use local businesses to, to work with. We, we've tried to make sure we're still spending that money with people and, and keeping going because we'd like to, you know, everybody still be working when we come out of this. Um, so it's a sort of do unto others <laughs> type thing, I suppose. How far, you know, that'll affect us going forwards, you know, I think certainly the two the two abattoirs we use are, are very small local ones um who've, who've also got a sort of butcher shop attached and they said that they've been you know sort of busier than ever um you know sort of reflecting what brett and charlie were talking about that they'll they, they've seen a lot of increased trade um but they're not sure how much of that will, will sort of carry on in the future so that that gives me some hope that at least our little bit of the food industry is gonna is gonna come out unscathed provided we can just keep keep on playing through what we need to. I saw on Twitter uh, yesterday and unfortunately uh, didn't get around to double checking it. So I may well get loads of people message me and say this is complete nothing. Um, But I've read that in some parts of Europe, they're talking about allowing restaurants and bars to reopen, but only at up to 25 to 30% capacity. And it made me think, and this probably applies to you as well, Ed, with weddings, is that mm. even viable for, for small businesses like yourselves? Uh, I did jump in quickly on the wedding side of things. Uh, you know, it's such a personal, special day for people. I, I, I'd imagine that the inclination, unless we knew that lockdown was going to last for three years, you know, I think most people's inclination will be to wait. You know, we haven't had any cancellations so far. We've just had people sort of bumping them down the line. Um, and I think it's... It would be possible potentially for us to do it, um, but I don't think, you know, it would be a strange atmosphere. It would be a very odd atmosphere, and I think that's such an important part of, you know, wedding days, the enjoyment of it. I can't see mm-hmm. people being desperate to to get it done on the date if that means that there's only, you know, 10 people in the room rather than 100. So I think we're yeah, in a real yeah, wait and yeah. see sort of position at the moment but how the, how the other guys are affected I don't, I don't know really yeah it, it wouldn't be viable for us at all to go back to sort of 30% capacity um, like I say um, it's quite small in here anyway we've got um, sort of 30 covers if we're full so to provide what we were providing before with the baked goods the the, um, the brunch menu just at that level, um, it, it wouldn't be sustainable to get people back in. Um, actually, what we're doing now is probably a bit better of a uh, model to start back with that we could grow 
and grow from there. But again, if you've only got 30% of the people coming through the door, it, it's hard to say either way. I guess we need to find out what's going to be announced by the government because it seems to me that if they go down that route, and obviously this is all uh, speculative, um, obviously a, there's the furlough that's there to help businesses at the moment and there's the workarounds that you that all three of you are, are doing. But once it's back to, right, you can open your business, but we're going to cap, cap the amount of people you can have in, that's going to make it really difficult for for people to make money essentially isn't yeah. it that's that's yeah. um uh, charlie um cask is also a relatively small uh, but beautiful space um so i guess that your situation and your feelings on it would be quite similar to um brett right yeah i, th- I think so i think the the natural desire is to reopen as soon as possible and to see people in there um and as I said, we did do it just before lockdown in that, in that weird week where we ran what we called a speakeasy and had four tables socially distanced. I was lucky that my best friend is a virologist. (laughs) So when all that media noise was happening and no one really understood COVID as much as we do now, I was kind of getting direct unbiased and media filtered, um, advice from somebody who actually knew what he was talking about. So we were able to make calls which again i spoke earlier about the moral versus commercial dilemma at least we had some intelligent science-based advice going in there um so that was good um we we could reopen and have four or five tables inside and we do have the garden which we were planning on opening on that beautiful bank holiday weekend mm. we had a few weeks ago so or easter rather so we were pretty gutted when the sun came out easter and we imagined our garden then so that would give us more covers but i think we would need to be careful because the experience would be so different and as i said earlier a bar is all about social contact and the busyness and 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 talking to people and meeting people and it would seem a very odd atmosphere mm-hmm. so i think we'd probably need to be a bit careful about it but maybe there's a way of doing it you know maybe there is a way of of making it charming and intimate and and using that to an advantage i think we'd have to see i think the key thing is the frustration which i know everyone's feeling now is is there not being a clear pathway through mm-hmm. so if the government's come out and say we'll allow restaurants and pubs to reopen but with 30 percent capacity now but in three months time we foresee us being able to open it at least we could all make decisions then on saying okay do we wait three months or do we have it intervening period where we're open at a lesser experience but i think the reality is none of us really know yeah and i I think it would be odd to be in a in a situation where you're forced into that awkward you know you're the only clientele in an empty restaurant feeling you know going into somewhere which is buzzing and it's full of people having a great time it's a fantastic feeling but equally you get that odd dud when you go in and there's nobody there and it's sort of you know like a ghost town and i think if that's the norm you know, it's going to take quite a long time. There's going to be a lag between everything opening and people feeling comfortable in that sort of setting again. So I, I think that, that that's the odd situation, you know, we might find ourselves in. I don't know, by the sounds of things, maybe you guys as well, we're, we're allowed to operate, but nobody really wants to come back yet because it hasn't, you know, mentally everybody's still in the, in the sort of lockdown phase. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there, I think. And I think that would be the fear that I would have that, um, the fur- uh, you know, I have to applaud the government on the furlough payments. That has been a, um, a massive help. 
Um, my fear would be at the moment there, I think until the end of June, and my mm-hmm. fear would be the government almost get back to intervening week where they're saying to people, don't socialize, don't go to pubs and restaurants, but they stop the furlough payments mm-hmm. and tell us that we can open. Yeah. And that would be my fear. Yeah. Cause then, as I said, we're always saying to be forced into opening. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and making that decision. And it's, that's a very hard decision to make. Yeah. If I think about myself right now, if somebody said to me, right, it's Saturday tonight, you can go out into town, go meet your friends, have some food, have some drinks. I would be extremely nervous about that. And um, in a kind of a slightly upsetting example, um, Dave, my other half's uh, grumpy died um, just over a week, two weeks ago. And it was his funeral this week. And we we went and there were 11 of us. Um, they kind of turned a blind eye to the 11th person because I think the rule is 10. And it just, it was it just wasn't right. You know, there weren't all the people there that wanted to celebrate his life. A bit like what Ed was saying with the weddings, they couldn't be there. Um, and we will do something for him when we can celebrate him properly with all of his friends and the wider relatives. But it just, it's going to take a while before our heads are in that space. And and that's uh, with what Charlie was saying is what worries me is that if there's a cutoff point when furlough stops and support for small businesses stops, but the general public aren't quite mentally prepared and ready to go and support those businesses physically, that's going to be a really scary time. Would you feel that way, Alex, if, um, if, you could, if I'm thinking about our virtual tastings and we're getting requests for people to do them privately with the groups of 25 friends across Bristol and we've done a couple. Would you feel that way if you knew everybody who is going into that bar? So if, for example, you say, okay, on the Friday night, you and your 20 friends can come to cask, but no, you're the only people in there. Because I feel that might be a step the government makes, not, not regards to restaurants and bars, but I feel like they might do some kind of social circle where they say to a social circle, so me, you can go and see your parents provided nobody else is seeing you or your parents. And we start widening out slowly Mm. the circle of people we see rather than you seeing Dave and me seeing Natalie, my wife, and that being it. Yeah, that's a really good question. Also, I like the fact that you asked me a question because I don't think that's happened before. (laughs) No, it's great. You can come and be my... gamekeeper, sorry. Um, No, it's brilliant. Um, I don't know um, because I think it depends on how sensible your friendship group has been. Um, Dave and I, well, Dave actually lost his job, unfortunately, but I am still working from home. So we really have been you know, at home, we've, we've not been to a big supermarket. We've, we've really not done anything. Um, but I know some of our friends, uh, one of our really close friends is, um, an ambulance paramedic. So, uh, would we want to hang out with him uh, on a very selfish, you know, note? I don't know, but it's int- It's an interesting question. Um, and you're right. It kind of opens up the the idea of the ways in which they might start to broaden our, our, social interactions yeah Yeah. it almost feels like you need to do socializing first you know say look you can go to the beach or you know go to the national parks and things to get people used to being around strangers again and then you can open the businesses up once people are back in that sort of oh okay yeah i don't know them but actually it's fine to stand next to them for for five minutes or what have you once people have got their heads around seeing people they don't know and it's not freaking them out then you do the businesses rather than have lots of empty businesses looking at, you know, not very many takings and not very many customers and it just feeling odd. You know, I, I think it'd be a shame for people's first experience of 
being able to go back out to eat or drink somewhere is unpleasant. I think that that would also sort of compound that that strange ghost towny feeling if they got if they went out and they're like, well, that's weird. I don't really want to do that again. Um, so it's, it's it's a difficult challenge, I think. Really, I think people kind of know the score now with going to the supermarket and interacting that way. So, I mean, I can't imagine that it would be that long to kind of reintegrate something like going to a bar or going to a restaurant. But like you say, it's that initial going out for the first time and having a bad experience. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess they also have to be incredibly careful that we don't get a second wave. Um, Charlie's friend will probably know more about that kind of stuff than I do, but it just has to be really carefully monitored, doesn't it? Thanks, Brett, Charlie and Ed for joining me today. It's been really interesting to start to look ahead at what we think might happen over the coming months. But it's fair to say there's a long way to go and none of us is really sure what the new normal might even look like. If you haven't already, do take the time to listen to my previous coronavirus and food episodes. This is number seven. Or if you're sick to the back teeth, as my dad would say, of it, there are 42 episodes to choose from without any mention of the C word. Last thing to mention before I bugger off, please subscribe wherever you listen and rate, review and share this podcast to help others find it. Thank you ever so much, guys. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thanks. Thank you.